Welcome to the Glow Getters Podcast. My name is Kayla Fahey Arndt, and I'm your host. I teach and inspire leaders to step into their productive selves and find their true potential. I'm a passionate creative and scientist with over eight years of healthcare leadership experience. At age 25, I stepped into my first management role and didn't find the leadership advice I was looking for. So here I'm giving you the tools to end burnout and enjoy a vibrant career and life. Glad you're here to learn and grow with me. Now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Glow Getters Podcast. It's Kayla, I'm your host. Thanks for being here. Today is episode 103 and it drops on November 1st, Monday. I can't believe it. Um, Monday, November 1st. So we are in the 11th month of the year and we're coming up on the end of the year. As leaders, this is a great time to start thinking about your end of year wrap up. I will do a podcast episode on this in the near future, but start thinking about what are my goals for the end of the year and have I reached those yet? Do I still need to work on those yet? And what might we do to reach them and close that gap if we haven't? <clears throat> and I just want to say, you know, this is a time of year when people start to take vacation time because Thanksgiving and holiday shopping and family gatherings <clears throat> and the new year. And so if you're counting on your staff to help move the work forward, which I know you are because you're all leaders and many of you are leaders of leaders, this means that you'll have less resources around to make that happen. So I just wanted to put that little bug in your ears so you know you may have to look at your goals and adjust expectations as we approach the end of the year because there's just a lot less time to get things done. So you might want to simplify, you might want to talk with your team around time out of office, and really clarify expectations and action items for the end of the year. So if you'd like me to do a podcast episode on that, please send me a DM on Instagram at Kayla Fahey-Arndt, or if you're on LinkedIn, find me on there, you search my name, and send me a message there. Let's connect if we're not already connected on a professional level. I would love to hear from you. And sorry, I have a little bit of a dry, tickly throat here, so I don't know how much editing I'm doing on this podcast episode. Um, Some of you may know, hopefully you know, I had my baby um, on October 17th. His name is Theo, Theodore Wyatt Fahey Arndt, but we call him Theo, and he's healthy and doing very well. He came three weeks early. He was due on November 3rd, so he technically wasn't even supposed to be born yet, (laughs) but babies don't read the baby handbook, which there is none. Um, and he's doing so well. He was just ready to come. He was big. He was seven pounds, six ounces, so totally healthy and normal. And uh, it was awesome experience for me. Crazy, crazy fast delivery. Had him less than three hours after I woke up with contractions and my water broke. And uh, yeah, we were, my husband had to throw us all on the car. We didn't, I mean, my mother-in-law didn't uh, make it to our house quick enough. Things were just moving super fast. So he had our daughter in the car with us. I'm so glad she's not traumatized. <laughs> she's doing just fine. Um, DJ had to stay with her because he couldn't leave her alone, obviously, in the car. And he couldn't bring her um, up to the floor because of COVID. So he missed the birth. <laughs> but it's fine. Um, 
I don't think he could have helped me at that moment in time anyways, because I had the baby literally seven minutes after I ran into the hospital to make sure I had the baby somewhere safe. So it was very, very empowering. He was wonderful. He was there the whole time I was having contractions at home, which was great, giving me so much oxytocin. It was so nice. I felt so supported and very empowered, even better than my first baby delivery. It was so much fun. Um, actually fun. Yeah, I had a good time. It was a positive experience. And yeah, because he came so fast, they let me announce that it was a boy. And I got to cut the cord myself. <laughs> All these crazy things. And I called my husband and said, hey, you know, the baby was born. You know, I said, your son was born. And he was like, oh my God. And I felt terrible. I think he's disappointed. He missed it. But at the same time, it was so fast and crazy. He was with our daughter when it mattered. And he is... Um, he was so happy that we were all safe and we were so excited that we had a boy. So, um, yeah, it was just insane and really fun. And he ended up walking, DJ walked in just like two minutes after I had Theo. So it wasn't like I was alone for a long time. Um, I will say I was super nervous about delivering a baby in a hospital during COVID. I think I, I was most like kind of weirded out by the fact that I might have to labor with a mask on. I thought that might be really uncomfortable. But let me just tell you, mamas, like you don't notice. <laughs> You're kind of preoccupied. You don't even notice. So um, it was all good. And then the labor and delivery nurse, I asked her to take my picture with Theo right after he was born and he was laying on me. And uh, so I, I had the mask on. I had my cheetah mask on. She's like, why don't you pull your mask down and be a human for a second? I'll take your picture. So that was super nice. Um, that I got some really cool photos, awesome photos with DJ and Theo when he came in. So that is like the quick version of the story. If you guys want me to tell a more detailed version, I totally can. Um, And I'm happy to share like how I prepared all the way through. I think I've shared before on my Instagram that I did a lot of prenatal yoga and worked out my whole pregnancy and I just feel amazing. There was no time for drugs, so my recovery has been great because I didn't have any drugs or epidural or anything in my system. Um, Theo was just ready to come. So so that is where we're at. And so you might notice that podcast episodes are not going to be three every week anymore. I just don't think it's realistic. I did plan ahead for a few pre-recorded um, until we're up to this point. And so I think we're probably going to be about one episode per week going forward. And if I'm being ambitious and I have time or I'm bored while he's sleeping and I'm up at two in the morning, um, there'll be more. But I'm let's go with one. That's going to be my expectation for myself. And uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited to be here today. This is the first one I'm recording post um, Theo's arrival. And um, today we're going to be talking about risk, accepting risk, feeling confident in risk and decision making. And before that, I do want to hop into my own little desperation moment. So thank you to everybody who has left a rating and review on my podcast. I would love it if you all could go do that. If you haven't already, if you listen to this podcast and you find value, I would so appreciate it. It just helps me know that like what I'm putting out there is something that you guys want to hear and that you're finding value. And when you leave a review, it helps bump up the podcast so that other people see it and can also find it and 
find value from me. So that I'm just so grateful to everyone who's already left a review. And I just want to keep making sure that the message gets out there just because I know there are so many leaders out there that just feel like they could use some support and some realistic, uh, you know, advice from somebody who's actually going through it and walking through it. Somebody who is a little bit younger, I'm 31. Um, and I've been in leadership since, well, so many different things for, for many years um, in different roles and capacities, but in my healthcare position for, I've been working for healthcare for over nine years now. So nine years in this October, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> so go leave a rating review if you haven't already. And when you do, if you leave a review, I will give you a shout out on the podcast. And then I will send you an email with some freebies and goodies from me to say thank you. <clears throat> All right. So that was a big intro. I did want to let you guys know where I'm at with life. Um, and Theo, and he's doing great. He's such a good eater, such a good sleeper. So we're all healthy. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be home, but also excited to stay current with this leadership um, coaching opportunity that I have to share info with you guys, because I think it's so important. And it has so many parallels to motherhood and parenthood. And I can't get enough of it. Like my brain never turns off. This is so much fun. So let's talk about risk. When I think about executive leaders and their jobs, one of the things they need to do is eliminate or reduce the amount of risk in any decisions that they make. And the reason behind this is that decisions and can affect a lot of different people, especially in a big organization. It can affect the health of the organization financially. And decisions have large and wide spreading impact. So if you're not careful about the decisions you make, if you don't fully understand the implications of the decisions you make, you can run into trouble later on. <clears throat> so it's very important to um, understand the level of risk you're going into when you make a decision, but also you want to feel confident behind your decision and be able to accept it. <clears throat> so today I'm going to be talking about how to feel confident and comfortable in your decision making and be able to accept the risk um, and what, what the most effective ways to do that are. So first, let me share a really awesome quote I found from Cleo Wade. I love her book. It's called Heart Talk and it's a series of poems that she's written. It's very inspirational. It's one of those books where you can just like open to any single page and you're going to find a really nice poem and find meaning from it. So I always go to her book when I'm looking for inspiration, especially when I'm like doing my gratitude or affirmations in the morning. <clears throat> Let me grab some coffee. All right, I got a little scratchy throat this morning, so I apologize. I probably won't be able to edit this out <laughs> just because I'm a little bit busy, so <clears throat> you understand. All right, so the quote is, if you want to feel empowered by your decisions, you can't just calculate your risks. You have to freely and totally accept the risks as well. Cleo Wade. So she talks about further on the next page in this book about applying the energy of acceptance to our decisions and our risks, because when we do that, we can feel confident and steady in our decisions and, <clears throat> and find clarity. If you have the energy of anxiety around your decisions, you'll be very disconnected, you won't be able to find trust, and you won't be able to stand in your full power. And so that's why you need to do things that help you find full acceptance and confidence in your decisions 
when you're going to accept a level of risk. <clears throat> so, for example, one one of the biggest ways to find acceptance in your risks is to fully understand them. And how do you do that? Through data. So I have like three different examples I can share with you about current work projects or recent work projects I've been doing with my team before I went out of office <clears throat> that require data analysis. So for example, trying to hire more staff would be one changing a workflow process with our NICU or our neonatal intensive care unit. And um, I guess I have, those are two examples. And um, they both require gathering data and understanding it well. So let's go with this tapping example. For example, it's really easy for you as the frontline leader who's standing in front of your staff, who's working really hard, who's overworked, who's burned out to watch them work and say, <clears throat> yeah, we need to hire more staff. We're very short staff. My team's working like dogs around the clock. But you need to ask for those resources and pitch those to leaders, probably leaders above you. And, <clears throat> excuse me, when you do this, you want to feel really confident in your ask and make sure that you're asking for the right thing. Because in the executive's mind, they're thinking, you know, it costs money to hire people. It costs money to train them without them being productive until they're fully trained in. What if they turn over and we have to hire another person? Can we do the work with less resources? Do we really need more people? <clears throat> if we're already doing the work with less people, why can't we just keep doing that? And so you want to make sure that you pull data like staffing to workload data, you know, labor hours and volume of work. You might want to even look at the overtime um, cost of your current staff and then compare that to like what it would cost to just hire someone to work those hours straight time. We'd much rather just hire straight time person instead of having lots of people being paid out on overtime. So there's so many ways that you can pivot the data. And so when I recently did this with my team, my data is very high level. I'm looking at monthly units of service or volume and monthly labor hours, but I'm not looking at what type of person's doing that work. You know, are they a tech? Are they administrative? For example, I'm not looking at what shift it's on. You know, is it days, evenings, and nights? When would we need this person to work, for example? And so for me, as a manager, I can feel good about the data I've pulled, right? So I could say, yeah, I think we're this is how we're staffing the schedule. And then this is what we're doing, um, what's actually happening in reality. And there's a two FTE gap. Let's just say that, right? So it looks like on paper, we need to hire two people. So if I go to my executive, just saying, I think we need to hire two people based on this data, they're gonna say, well, <clears throat> are you sure? Like I said, they're gonna have all these questions because what they're doing is trying to eliminate the risk of hiring, spending extra money, turnover, training time, all of that, right? Every resource is precious. Not to say that employee engagement isn't important or morale, staff, you know, working super crazy is not important. <clears throat> it's just that all these decisions have a domino effect. And we really wanna make sure that we're making the right decisions. So all these decisions have a domino effect. So we wanna figure out like, how do we eliminate or reduce the risk with that decision and make it so that the leader can just, who's approving can just say yes. And so what you wanna do as a leader, especially a leader of leaders or a leader of frontline staff, 
is then take that data to those staff and say, how does this feel to you guys? <clears throat> Gut check, does it feel accurate? And am I, am I missing any data points? Does it feel, um, can you get even deeper into the data? Can you pull data by shift? Could you look at um, day of the week? <clears throat> Is this the right data to be looking at? Does this reflect your current reality, right? And they can fine tune that data and help you understand even better and make that, that ask even stronger. So when you go to that leader, you can say, we've unturned all these different rocks and here's where, what we came up with. You know, obviously we don't know for sure we can't control everything, right? So next month, the volumes could dip and we could see a drastic change and we've hired someone and now we have less work. But here are the trends. Here's what we're seeing. Here's where we feel like we need the most support. And this has been a pattern and we'd like to mitigate spending more money on overtime by hiring someone straight time just to do this work that we know is going to be staying around. This is sustainable work. We've seen this pattern. And you can feel really confident in that. The other question that um, executives are going to have is, you know, what's the return on investment? So when you invest in a new staff person or invest in changing a new process or invest in constructing a new, new space, let's say, they're going to spend some money, right? There's going to be some direct cost. And so they might ask, like, not just what is the return on investment, but how fast? <clears throat> Am I going to see that return? So one of the questions I was recently asked when thinking about a construction space was, okay, here's the expense. Let's just say the expense is $100,000. How fast does it take to make $100,000 to break even? And then when do we start actually making margin or money on this? And so they, from what I've seen, a lot of executives want to see a really quick return. And that's usually a year, year and a half, maybe less than two year return to make an immediate decision on something to say, yeah, let's move forward, especially if it aligns with organizational values or you know performance um, priorities for the organization, they're gonna say, how fast will the return investment be? And if you can say it's a very short turnaround time, they're more likely to support that. So you need to ask yourself that question, sort of back it up is, how do I figure out you know, what the return on investment is, right? And then how do I figure out how fast that return will be? So you might need to pull like revenue dollars or um, how much a test costs and how much we're reimbursed or maybe labor hours. Maybe you're reducing your FTEs. Maybe you want to say, oh, you know, each month we save X amount of dollars and that's when you're going to see your return. So thinking about Basically, the goal would be, think about the question from the executive, how fast will the return on investment be? What do you actually need? Why? And how can you tell? And then back it up from there. And then once you have pulled that data, you need to sit in it and say, am I confident and comfortable in it? And if there is an error, can I accept that? <clears throat> so that's why I suggest going to that frontline staff or that frontline leader and saying like, poke holes in this, where is there gaps? How can we get the data more firm? What questions would you have? What questions would you wanna answer if you were gonna hire somebody? What questions would you think of to ask to determine what we actually need is? And then once you feel really confident in your data, you probably should bounce it off 
your boss or, you know, ask, maybe even preview it to the person you're going to ask resources for because they're going to have their own set of questions that maybe you haven't thought of. So this is the other step that I like to do is just say, hey, here's what we've gathered. Here's what my team has said. Here's the feedback. Here's what I'm thinking about asking you for. (laughs) What do you, do you see any issues in this? Any barriers, any roadblocks? They might say timing isn't very good right now. The risk is too high in terms of timing. Come back later. They might say, I have these questions and you might not have thought of those. And you might say, oh, okay, I need to go back and think of these questions, right? And so that is always a good tactic as well, is to eliminate risk by going to the person you're going to ask approval for or somebody very close to them and saying, here's what I'm thinking about asking you, (laughs) hypothetically, but show them your data and ask for that feedback. The other thing you can do to eliminate or reduce risk is think about how you could do a small test of change or a pilot without actually doing the whole shebang. Let me take another sip of coffee. So essentially, if you can do any type of experiment before you change something or ask for more resources, it's so much easier to get what you need because you can say, we've already tried it and it worked. Or we've tried it, we've learned some lessons, and here's what we want to do this time. If you do a small test of change, you can use the PDCA model, which is Plan, Do, Check, Act. So you can plan your small test, do it with like one location or one one department or one person. You can actually do or implement the thing that you want to try. You can evaluate it by, you know, acting on it, improve it, and then check is like, how did it work? And then you would repeat that cycle until you feel really confident. And then you can, um, if it's working, you can implement on a larger scale and make it more sustainable throughout the organization. Instead of just going big all the way, leaders sometimes are cautious and want to take baby steps. And you can say, well, let me consider piloting this in a small area before we go big. And they're often going to say, yeah, go ahead. That requires a lot less resources. There's a lot less risk if you pilot on a small level. And then there's a lot more guarantee of your return on investment. If that small test of change worked, then you want to go ask and implement on the big level. The last thing I'll say is when you communicate your ask for resources or the change or support for whatever change you're doing, I really find it valuable to use this SBAR mnemonic, which is situation, background, assessment, and recommendation. And I actually have a free um, resource for SBAR that you can download. And I think I have a a PDCA one as well in my free resource library, which I'll link in the show notes. Situation is where you just want to say, like, what is the problem? You know, so it might be something like, um, you know, East Blood Bank turnaround times are uh, below expectations or something. That's even very generic, but you'd put some data in there. Background, you know, then this is where you give um, like the reasons why, what's kind of led up to us being in this situation. Assessment is going to be more of like the data, like you could include a graph or a pie chart or percentages or some calculations. Like here's the data that we've gathered to understand this problem and to, to understand our solution. And then recommendation is whatever solution you're proposing to fix the problem to fix that situation. 
And this is a really nice way to structure communication and to clearly and concisely ask for support. And one thing you want to include in your assessment or your recommendation would be what happens if we do nothing? So you're asking for a change or additional resources, but your executive leader is probably going to say, well, what would happen if we just didn't do anything? You're already making it work, quote unquote, without the resources. And you might, you might think about like how much money we're going to lose if we keep paying people overtime, for example, versus straight time, right? You might think about, um, turnaround time is getting worse without staff because you anticipate volumes going up. Um, then this is also where you would want to include how fast will your ROI break even in your assessment. So thinking about like, you know, how, how quick you're going to save that money, how quick you're going to reduce turnaround times, how fast will the return on investment break even or be realized? And you might even want to include something like worst case scenario you know, if this doesn't work, or worst case scenario, if if we do nothing, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. And that's usually really helpful because it gives the executive the perspective of if nothing were to change today, if we just kept on living, what would actually happen? And sometimes doing nothing can be very risky as well. And so they want to make sure that they are aware of all the risks, even the risks of staying the same. So I hope this was helpful for you. You want to go into decision making and asking for resources, feeling very confident and steady in your decision and your ask. And the way that you can do that is by gathering data, but then further going to understand the data, ask doesn't make sense, going to the frontline leaders saying, can you poke holes in this? What's your gut feeling? What other questions would you have? And really exploring that information, making sure you understand it, thinking about doing a small test of change instead of a big, large-scale change at one time. So then if that works, if you learn from that, you can implement on a large scale and make it a sustainable change. You can use the SBAR mnemonic situation background assessment recommendation to clearly and concisely state your ask while including how you're eliminating risk in that SBAR by talking about Worst case scenario, if we don't change or if we change, what happens if we do nothing and how fast will we recognize our return on investment? All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful or added a little bit of value for you, got you thinking about how you can better communicate and ask for things, how from the you know executive's perspective, how they need to eliminate or reduce risk, um, let me know if you enjoyed it. Send me a message on Instagram at Aren't or on LinkedIn. Um, and then thank you for letting me share a little bit of my story about Theo's birth on the podcast. I'm just happy to tell you we're all doing well. Theo was a pumpkin for Halloween. Kate was a ladybug. So we're enjoying life here at home. And I'm excited to continue to talk with you online and uh, engage with you on leadership topics just to keep my mind like, you know, slightly adulting while I'm on maternity leave. And with that, take care and I'll see you in the next episode. Be a light. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I wanted to let you know about something new that I'm doing. 
If you could please leave me a rating and review on iTunes or right in your Apple Podcasts app, I would so appreciate it. Each week, I'm going to be doing a drawing and sending an email to a winner just to say thank you with some treats, tips, and a little bit of extras because I really want to get this podcast out to more people and I want to hear how it's helping you getting feedback about what you'd love to hear about and what you love about the podcast so I can keep doing that. Also, if you'd like to connect with me on a deeper level, check out my website at glowgetterslife.com. You'll find links to my About Me page so you can learn about me and my journey in leadership. You'll find links to my blog, my podcast for more episodes, and to my YouTube channel. And you can also find links to the templates and leadership planners I've created, as well as my free resource library. All right. Thanks so much. And until next time, be a light.